Hi, I'm Deepak Madnani, entrepreneur, problem solver, and amateur barista. I am on a mission to help forward-thinking entrepreneurs succeed and grow by understanding two simple rules. Crisis is a clarity opportunity, and the question is never really the question. Today, I am putting my barista skills to the test and sharing a cup of coffee with resilient problem solvers from all over the world. Let's get started. Dana, welcome. This is cool. This is awesome. This is uh, such a pleasure to have you here. I'm so grateful. And we haven't connected in a while, Dana. How are you doing, Dana? Thank you, brother Deepak. Oh, man. Some of the stories we're going to get into today will blow your mind. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me as well. Great. Dana, what are you what are you drinking? What are we what are we sharing today? So I still I have my coffee because this is Deepak. You know, I wasn't sure which way to go, you know. I guess you can never go wrong with this guy here. I hadn't realized until I came and spent a year in Japan that there's kind of a robust industry of non-alcoholic beers and all of the major kind of vendors and retailers and manufacturers make them. So this is will probably be some sort of relic because we're still waiting to know what's going to happen. You see here, we've got an Asahi Dry Zero 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games non-alcoholic beer. Wow. So, Dana, that's that's actually one of my go-to drinks is non-alcoholic beer. No kidding. Oh, so uh, they, so they rock it in uh, Hong Kong too, huh? Yes, yes. It's one of my, and my, one of my favorites is the uh, Peroni. But, but you are in Japan. So, so Dana's in Japan, guys. Dana's in Japan. Cheers, man. I've got my Indian beans from this company called Blue Tokai, one of my, uh, favorite coffee shops. And um, I bought like five kilograms worth. <laughs> so cheers. They've sent me a whole bunch of different beans. So I've just been going through them. Becoming a coffee kingpin. <laughs> One of my COVID hobbies, I developed a passion for my coffee beans and became an amateur barista. Well, well I pursued the passion, put it that way. I pursued okay. the passion. So I've been traveling the world via coffee beans. So what mechanism or machinery do you use to, to make a cup, of, a cup of coffee? There is one of the medium uh, level machines from a company called Breville. It's uh, a mixture of a grinder. Yep. And then it pulls the coffee shots all in one machine. It's a nice looking machine. Kancha and my wife agreed to have it out in the living room because it makes coffee for the both of us, right? So, <laughs> so it's great. We have some amazing beans in Hong Kong, which is the good thing. So what's the beat on the street in Hong Kong? I see you've been, you've been walking the town a little bit now. It's maybe I have. Safe, Hong right? Kong's safe. Yeah. Hong Kong's good, right? So Hong Kong's, Hong Kong's been locking down. I was interviewing uh, a good friend, Jonathan Levine, uh, an inventor and dentist and entrepreneur, oral expert in, in New York this morning. And I was telling him, we've been locked down in New York City, effectively. That's Hong Kong for you, you know, to describe it. So it's not like we can travel anywhere. Hong Kong's a small city. So it's not like we have Brooklyn or, you know, Connecticut or New Jersey to go to, et cetera. No, we're just stuck in the city. Is Macau being treated as a separate uh, kind of totally separate? Yeah, everyone's locked down, so that's even smaller, right? If if you put it that way. Yeah, no, no neighboring islands or anything. Wow. Yeah. So, so look, I mean, we can see what's happening around the world. I mean, there's no judgment in terms of how people have handled things, but we know um, people are trying to keep things as much under control as possible. And now, unfortunately, you've seen what's happened in India when you let go after controlling. So, I think the whole world just has to go through the motions until they figure out the rhythm. But Unfortunately, I mean, devastating, right? All, all the deaths. And especially during times where it's so difficult to get a clear pulse without going somewhere. We're lucky that, you know, in the past years, we've always been able to go places and yeah. kind of talk to people locally and really get a real feel for 
what the food is, what the culture is, what people like and what they're dealing with. But to not have had that opportunity really kind of makes me feel distant from a lot of things. And looking through the lens of of news is is definitely not uh, as clear as I'd like it to be. Well, I mean, looking through the lens of news is, you know, I would just throw that out the window. I think what's happening is, I mean, you you being in Japan, and, and we are going to get into Dana Leong, definitely. But this is the opportunity for us to bring out the best that we have to offer. And, and nothing can be said or seen more, more almost eloquently than what you're doing with your music. So I want to I use that as a segue to come, to come straight in. Dana Leong, two-time Grammy Award winning musician, composer, and producer. Considered by many to be the world's top electric cellist. He's been referred to as the world's top trombone player by members of the world-renowned Balkan Beatbox. Why do I have a musician on my, on my show? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump into that because Dana comes with all kinds of talents. And as I've said with other interesting guests, the entrepreneur side is what allows them to create their impact. And they may see clearly or they, they may not see clearly, but it is how they express themselves. So Dana's music spans across multiple genres. His bio is extensive. He's not just a musician. He's given performances and speeches at TEDx Shanghai. So, so Dana has two bases. Dana, is that correct to say? Yeah, I, I would say at least. Born in, born in the U.S. and then I've been doing an Asia base for the last five years. So Shanghai mostly. Shanghai mostly. And then, you know, we, we do some business and incremental visits to Japan. I never got grounded in Japan until this trip. <laughs> Okay, right. So Japan for me was, I think, a, a new kind of destination in terms of learning about that, in terms of you actually putting up a tent, let's just say, right? He's worked with Kanye West, Sean P. Diddy in hip hop, with DJ Atrax and DJ Qbert and EDM. I mean, the list goes on, tons of events, corporate events, but this is what's interesting. A leading innovator at the intersection of music, technology, and wellness. Let me say that again a leading innovator at the intersection of music, technology, and wellness. So he's performed healing music at the World Economic Forum and is a composer on a Musicians Against Violence album produced by uh, Harry Belafonte. The list goes on. And Dana and I know each other because we are both part of the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders cohort, him, Dana, being much younger than me. That's how we, we connected. Dana, entrepreneurs are listening and wondering now, okay, wh why have we got this musician here? But, but the way Dana's approached his life is a story that I want to understand today or share or share today and, and the mindsets that I've come across. So Dana, why don't you start where you would like to, but give us a brief into how you've approached the music and, and what's taken you over here. I was born in the Bay Area, California. My mother was a TV star in Japan when she was in her 20s. She was on a show that was equatable to New York City's Saturday Night Live. And they did sketches and dances and musical guests and, you know, all sorts of things. And she was part of the cast that did uh, a bunch of musical numbers and performances every week for a number of years. She moved to the U.S. I was born there. Uh, I have another brother, Eric Young. We both became musicians. So after we uh, did our training in San Francisco, we both moved to New York City and finished up our school over there. And I actually stayed in New York for almost uh, about 20 years. Throughout that time, I was performing a lot of the artists that you had mentioned. Uh, you know, I was uh, kind of perfecting my craft. And we were also running a chain of recording studios 
which did music for you know famous artists as well as uh, we say anything that goes on screen. So that could be anything from a video game to you know a documentary to a film. And nowadays there's in-store kind of displays that have you know music and art together. And we have been doing a lot more of that, especially now that uh, a lot of uh, live events have been you know working either at limited capacity or they've just been paused uh, for the time being. I would say in 2015, I started to do exploratory missions around the world. And one of the places that really stuck out to me, actually three of the places that stuck out to me were Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. Being that we were just starting up our office for tectonicmusic.org for Asia, uh, we were on a tight budget and I was going out solo. I somehow landed in Shanghai because it was kind of the best bang for your buck at the moment with Hong Kong and Tokyo being much more developed economies and developed you know, societies in terms of like the on-ramp and uh, the amount of maturity of markets. So I ended up in Shanghai, working in the office there. And we created a studio and a team to do concerts and live events and uh, healing music content that's both licensed and performed live. So Dana, your approach to music, would you call it conventional? Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not talking about the the making of the music. I'm talking about the business Ooh. model of being a musician. Ooh, I I would say it's proactive, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a uh, revolutionary. It is very intentional. There was an interview you did. I think it was with uh, KPMG. You were talking about how you know no matter what business you're in, no matter how innovative your product end product is, the process in building that company is oftentimes the same kind of architecture. So mm. I would say the same with the, with the music. I've learned so much from you know friends like you and folks in the World Economic Forum that do the same motions, but they apply it to different businesses, right? You know, people that I, I found along the journey, I found that there was folks like uh, public speakers, for example, who have incredibly similar process and lifestyle to a musician. You know, in that they travel, they've got to come up with content, they need to practice it and memorize it. When they travel, they need logistical support, whether that be travel support, hotel and accommodation. They need specific technical support while they're on the stage, even if it's you know something as simple as a, a PPT and a mic versus you know a guy with a guitar and an amp. They're kind of the same when you, mm. when you you break it down from the the building blocks of it. So in that sense, a lot of my ability to keep longevity and kind of continue to reach new levels has actually been accredited to temp- templatization of different uh, processes so that we can work modularly within our teams. And, you know, somebody who as a smaller company, you know, people have to kind of dive in and take on various roles and be chameleons. So uh, once we templatize certain things like how to plan an event or the process of, uh, you know, getting from conversation to music license, it made it a lot easier it makes it easier for people to switch in and out and kind of pinch hit, but also makes it easier to complete when you get a little bit tired or worn out. You know, you've just got these kind of guideline checklists that help yeah. you not make a mistake. What prompted the decision to explore another market versus continue what you were doing in the U.S.? It's kind of a hard thing to describe depending on what you believe in, but I've always had kind of strong premonitions in my life. Uh, when I was a child, I somehow thought that I would live in San Francisco and then live in New York and then live in Asia and then perhaps somehow make my way around the world back to the Bay Area in San Francisco. 
I would say that I'm in second gear right now. I think for a few years, I felt like I was kind of in a, I wouldn't say idle position, but I was still exploring and hungry for more, but I wasn't finding it in New York. So I started to travel the world to see how other people were living and see, you know, what what people were working on and what were they thinking about. And, you know, that time I started to spend outside of New York for lengthy periods of time, you know, talking three months at a time, really kind of satiated my, my, my curiosity and kind of helped me gain the courage to do a jump off and say, okay, you know what, now is one of the best times ever to explore other regions, especially if we can create bridges between, you know, my lands of heritage where, you know, my father's a Chinese American, my mother's a Japanese national. And if I can do something that, you know, kind of connects and deepens my understanding of the culture there and brings it back to the United States and crosses the boundaries, then that would be, you know, kind of mission accomplished. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tie in a, a bunch of things that you've said so far. Okay. So this is this is yeah. what what I do. You've used the word intentional and you've used the word courage. I'm gonna park that for a second. I'm also hearing there's there's a vision and there's a purpose and there's an ambition around what you're saying. Okay. So a lot of people, and it's not autopilot, but a lot of people don't recognize. So this is the typical entrepreneur kind of trap. You know, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs don't recognize that they are built different. It's a different battery that's running. It's not to say it's a better battery. I'm just saying it's a different battery. Because your story, if I was to say that to just somebody, and they'd be like, holy cow, did he just do all that? Because you know what? What intention, courage, what premonition? What's going on here? You know, he's on something, you know? I want to first acknowledge that your your journey thus far has taken intentionality and courage. And I want I want to acknowledge that as well in the in the sense that courage for entrepreneurs, it's a superpower that they don't realize that they have access to and they should use more of. <laughs> because that's something that, that I've personally, uh, during, during my journeys, realized that it's actually, it's an ability. It's, a, it's an ability we have to have access to, but, but we don't access it sometimes or because we don't recognize the fact that we have it. So come back to intentionality and courage. You coming out to this part of the world just because you had an idea or just because you had heritage, but you had no connections here, correct? That's right. My first time coming to uh, Shanghai was in 2014, 2015. Uh, we did a World Economic Forum event. And I actually, at that point, I'm, I guess uh, I was blissfully ignorant. I had no idea what the World Economic Forum was, but I had been invited to kind of present the concept of what we were doing with tectonic music uniting artists that have been affected by whose families and they had been affected by natural disasters and using music as a you know a way to build bridges and raise awareness as well as raise funds and kind of help people remediate the negative impacts in these disasters so i guess it did fit the kind of uh, narrative of doing you know business that's good for the world uh, but honestly I, I stepped on stage and had no idea what <laughs> what what the main goal of the uh, forum was i quickly met a lot of fantastic folks like yourself through the network of entrepreneurs and business folks, creative folks alike. And from there, I started to build bridges and, and meet folks in various regions. But uh, something something did call me about about exploring something that I, I knew almost nothing about, uh, which was to take the road into Shanghai. It was obviously the most difficult of the, of the choices in many ways, because at the moment, I stepped foot in Shanghai and, you know, opened up our office. 
Uh, I had not spoken a word of Chinese. Uh, I'd never lived in China, and I'd only visited, you know, a week at a time in in various cities. And I didn't, as you mentioned, I didn't have any family there. All my all of our family is now in the United States and in Canada from the Chinese side of my family. There were easier choices. I could have went to Japan. My mother's family is here, and I speak conversational Japanese. I could have went to Hong Kong. My last name, Liang, is actually a Cantonese last name. But again, people speak English, English here, right? So it's,、uh, you can move around easy enough here, right? Then again, context for people listening. So I, I run my supply chain businesses out in China. I learned Chinese because I knew I was going to be developing my my business out here. I lived in Chile. I lived. I've lived in Chile. I've lived in Poland. I, li- I lived in the Czech Republic. I've had to learn the languages of where I was dropped into. And so Dana moving into Shanghai, a bustling metropolis, of which Mandarin is the main language. Culturally, everything is just very different. To decide to move there to set up a business, of which you had no validation of the business model. I mean, let's let's be clear, right? This was something that you felt you wanted to do, so this was part of discovery. But you jumped in, so that's the part that that took courage. Clearly, right? Were there moments of you here thinking, "What have I done?" Oh, absolutely. You know, I frequently thought, "What the heck am I doing?" And I frequently thought, "Gosh, I must be too old for this," because there were countless nights that I spent sleeping on the floor of my studio office. In downtown Shanghai, because I had forgotten to book a new Airbnb during my first, you know, month or two in,、mm. in Shanghai, as well as finding a more permanent apartment,、uh, you know, and I would be there till three in the morning, and I had meetings at seven. I was like, "What's the, what's the point? I already have my suitcase here." Yeah, and countless nights I was tucked under the desk and just sleeping under there, and、uh, I just asked myself, "I was like, wow, I thought I worked hard in New York, and、mm. New York." It, Giant city, and New York is a fascinating place that moves lightning fast, and 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 is very convenient in that matter. That you know, when you do business in New York, it's very straightforward, and it's very you know, the foreplay is kind of cut out in a lot of situations. Versus China and Asia, where there is a lot more of that、uh, relationship building phase and kind of getting to know one another's personalities and character. And a lot of times, there's even family histories, as you know, you know, having come from a you know lineage of family business. Sometimes there's relationships that are, you know, that are longer than your being itself. So yeah, of course there was times where I was just banging my head against the wall, saying like, "Wow, people!" I came in as the arrogant New Yorker, and so many people, pretty much every single person I encountered, said the two things you'll notice is it's very big, and it's very fast.、Mm. And I said, "Come on,、um, you know, New York's got 11 million people, and I'm living in the middle of Manhattan, and my office is Times Square, like." I know what big and fast is. Yeah, like, and I, you're not gonna, you're not gonna shake me. Right,、yeah. 20 years new. I got my stripes. I got my、yeah. armor. I'm ready to go. But I was within weeks. I was sucking my thumb, sleeping under my desk, <laughs> and saying it's too big and it's too fast. Right. right. What the heck is going on? Let's put this in context again. So, so Dana's sharing. It's a startup story. You know, Dana started up again, reinvented himself, or had to learn to reinvent himself because he's put in a new space, a new culture. And this often happens when entrepreneurs are definitely culturally. I think one of the qualities I've taken for granted in my life, growing up in Hong Kong high school and Switzerland college in the States, lived and worked in Chile, Poland, Czech Republic, China, India, Dubai. I speak. My Mandarin's getting worse because I haven't traveled much.、Uh, my Hindi's terrible. My Spanish is okay. 
the English is, is not bad, but being that chameleon, you were talking about being a business chameleon, but talking about being a, a world chameleon by nature, what's my background? Indian, I uh, had to come to Hong Kong, our parents' immigrant story, colonialism, whatever happened to our country, we had to go find a better life, but we also had to adapt. Let's add this third world. We've, we've spoken about intentionality. We've spoken about courage, but Dana, you had to adapt effectively, right? There's a saying I always say that crisis is just a performance indicator, not a judgment. It's not a, you know, an emotional trauma. But I mean, unfortunately, as entrepreneurs interpret it as trauma. What do you mean by when you say crisis? Okay, you sitting in an apartment or in your studio uh, under the table trying to figure out, you know what, what if I jumped into? A crisis is something that you're not prepared for. Put it that way, right? If you're prepared for stuff, you're doing okay. I mean, Amazon has done super well during COVID because mm. they've got a business model and a business that, that knows how to respond and knows how to grow in any situation. Let's just say that, right? Mm. I'm, tr- I'm simplifying, Dana. I'm simplifying, okay? But I'm actually, actually just talking about the learning curve, right? Because your ambition has brought you out here. And then now there are clearly gaps in your, in your armor, but not in your ambition, not in your vision, not in your purpose. There's no gap there. You've had to fill out the rest of the story. Is that fair enough to say? That's the experience I, I, curve, I, I right? I think that might be giving me too much credit. I mean, there were times where even, you know, my ambition was, was tested. Like I said, I came in as an arrogant New Yorker thinking, you know, I built, you know, multiple businesses out there. Successfully. Yeah. Yeah, successfully. Our recording studio chain, our artist uh, management company, my own solo career as a musician and a composer. All those things were working for me in New York. And I left all that right at sort of, I wouldn't say the peak, but right when it was really kind of working like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. I kept saying to my colleagues, I said, you know, I feel like there's something else out there. And they said, every single person said, you know, you're <laughs> insane if you walk away from this because you know how long the line is behind you in New York City of people yeah. that want to be where you are with yeah. things functioning. And like, yeah. like you said, not having crisis. The few times I've had those strong premonitions to go with my go with my gut have been the most rewarding. So that's a quality that I admire about you. You are somebody that doesn't regret. You are somebody that won't negotiate with the ambition or the purpose. You, you want to go explore life. And it's not irresponsibly so as well, because the work that you're doing is so valuable. Let's talk about that a little bit. I know this is the Entrepreneur Podcast. And so now this is you sharing that story. It's a startup story, right? And uh, a successful, ambitious musical entrepreneur who's almost setting himself up for for disaster right that's that's what it felt like right what kept you going you know i think having a core group of of friends was absolutely uh, indispensable especially a group of friends who understood i I guess i could say expat friends right who were foreign born but had spent a significant amount of time on the ground they all knew exactly what phase I was in, in terms of my personal development, what it's like to try, you know, to step into a bank and get a bank account. Like everything is, like, as you'd mentioned, everything is on a different system. You can simplify it as, as much as saying, you know, US and the UK and Liberia somehow are on the imperial system and everywhere else in the world is on the metric system. Yeah. And so when you step yourself into a metric system like China, Everything is different and you're constantly translating. What does this mean compared to what I know or what I grew up with? The money, the temperature, the distance, the language, the meeting styles, fashion, the culinary, 
everything is different, right? The amount of uh, push and pull, ebb and flow you need to do when you're negotiating, when you're just building up your basic presence. Like I said, you need a bank account, you need an apartment, you need some sort of mode of transportation, whether that's a subway card or a taxi app. And all those things like are are much more difficult in a foreign system than yeah. they are yeah. in your natives. So your yeah. brain is just working overtime all the time. With respect to the business model of right. what you expected to do and what you ended up doing, how would you how would you uh, describe that? How would I describe it? Yeah, well, I guess you uh, came to Asia. Let's use the word Asia. You came to yeah. Asia with you know this is what I want to do. And is that, that is the is that what ended up happening? Yes, yes and no. There's always there was always a bit of adjusting and for us to get to a place where we were what I could say functional or 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 kind of aut- autonomous in a way, it did take a lot of adjusting. It was never exactly what was on the drawing board. But I'm very thankful and very happy with the way that things have evolved and and, and sort of unrolled. Being that we have a sort of healthy, you know, we we really fit the categorization of a social entrepreneurship where we do some work and then we use our profits to help people that need help. That was another thing I just was not aware of until actually, you know, years into my program with the WEF. And uh, I saw also that we both did the uh, UBS Global Visionaries program as well. Yeah. It was something that helped kind of clarify that that kind of uh, self-evaluation and, and knowing that actually that is a model. This social enterprise model is an actual business model. <laughs> yeah. Before I thought it was like, okay, well, maybe we're just doing good out of the good of our hearts. We're also making money because we're not doing good enough. But yeah. then I realized actually it's a balance because actually the, the not-for-profit model in my eyes is actually, it's more strenuous and it's more limited in terms of how to actually operate because there's certain tax implications where you need to balance a budget back to zero at least in the 501c3 world in the united states you need to spend what you make you Mm. need to continuously fundraise every year and that takes up you know for most major organizations takes up more than 50 percent of their time right right right. the red cross you're talking about saving the children i mean they're just doing giant galas all the time they're doing e-blasts they're asking people for money you know they're going around ringing bells at christmas time and singing songs and I was like, well, I respect those organizations and they do good work. But I also believe in, I guess you could say, a meritocracy yeah. in that if, you're, if you have a good business, it should be profitable because people will want it. It's supply and demand, very simple. Yeah. And if it's profitable, then you can also scale your impact. Yeah. What's the future looking like for Dana after you said scale your impact? So... Like I had mentioned, during the pandemic, we had taken time to actually redevelop more of our studio work. I had shared with you a little feel-good story that we created here in Japan. What had actually happened is I came here to help consult the build-out, the final build-out of this space that I'm in, which is about a 3,000-square-meter warehouse that's been repurposed as a music space. It's got a workshop. I'm in the kind of listening room slash workshop where the uh, original uh, creator of this space, he does a kind of like hacker. I wouldn't say like, yeah, like kind of like hackathon type stuff. 1.0, like uh, tube amplifiers and, you know, like wiring up different audio systems. 
these sort of audio file, you know, the original hacker ham radios, these kind of things. Then we've got a small event space uh, where we have we can have performances with up to I would say comfortably maybe a hundred people. And okay. then we have a uh, a broadcast studio on the other side, uh, which has all the recording capabilities and uh, lighting, cameras, and et cetera, et cetera. So my sort of role was to come here and help kind of oversee the final guts of the place being built out because the infrastructure was built over the last four years. And then they wanted to know, what do we need for this place to function, right? Yeah. We need some veins and we need some blood pumping through here. So, you know, I, I was here as we loaded in multiple grand pianos. And the odd part was, as we started, I should have had maybe a team of five to 10 people helping. And then it would have been a, just a few day project. You know, my original plan was come here, finish it out and go back to Shanghai. But actually the border of China and Japan and multiple countries closed last year in March. And I was actually stuck here and we weren't able to hire anyone. So I actually did a major, major build out of, for lack of a better term, IT, a musical IT build out over the course of three plus weeks by myself. And wow. I felt oddly similar to when I was in college putting together my very first recording studio, just ripping open Amazon boxes with a razor and plugging in wires, installing software, moving things, you know, crates of wires and things all around and positioning lights and cameras and rails and racks. And it was an interesting uh, time. But Back to startup mode. Back to super startup mode. Yeah. So I'm lucky that, you know, of all the places I could be paused, I'm paused in a beautiful place uh, in Nagano where they had the, they hosted the Winter Olympics in 1998. So it's a beautiful place in nature. And I'm in a broadcast studio, which is like every musician's dream. It is a little surreal that a lot of the last year I've spent by myself in this yeah. gigantic box the size of a city block in New York. Yeah. You're still making music, right? All the time. Mm-hmm. And our team, you know, we have musicians uh, in about 10 different countries and composers that work together with us. And it's a little bit surreal that, uh, you know, in Shanghai, our guys are going to the office, going to the studio, and we have our calls every week. And they're like, so uh, when are you coming back? Yeah. Like, oh, when are you guys going to invite me back? <laughs> Dana, this is a question I ask as I wrap up. What would you tell yourself, let's say 15 years ago, like a bit of advice that you would have actually listened to? I think it's really important to allow yourself to be a prism that amplifies what brings you joy. Because oftentimes, you know, as entrepreneurs or as, you know, perfectionists or whatnot, we don't celebrate, we don't celebrate and we don't appreciate enough of our joyous moments. You know, they kind of pass by in a blink of an eye, we're tired, we're not in the mood, whatever it is you know, they just kind of fall through the cracks. So if there's a way, you know, there's that whole fake it till you make it. And I really believe there is something to it. That's something I've learned a lot from in the last year, especially being in Japan, the few times where I've been out in the uh, town or out around various places. I think that, you know, even if it's not, you know, 101% genuine, people play a role. And I think that it's ingrained early on in society here in Japan specifically, that they show appreciation, they show respect, but they also kind of, they show awe and wonder for the things that 
that are uplifting in a way, right? Even if it's something as small as a little cake, you know, you see the yes. you know, classic, you know, stereotypical Japanese, you know, girl like, ah, like super excited and yeah. you know, it's so awesome. It tastes so good. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's worth going through the actions, even if you don't feel it and it will generate some inertia. Yeah. And when you look back on your life, you know, 15 years later, I mean, you know, you're going to see countless photos, countless videos. You're going to have recordings of yourself talking, performing, whatever it is. You don't, you won't remember those like little moments. Oh, that day, you know, somebody messed up my latte. You, you won't remember that, but you will see the photos and you will remember, you know, the interactions and, and the important conversations and the beautiful sensory inputs that you experience. And, and if you don't, like I said, if you can be a prism that amplifies that, then I think that's something really, uh, really spectacular. Dana, that was, uh, that was powerful. You know, one of the things entrepreneurs do during their journeys is just not appreciate the journey. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I wish I could have, and again, when I say, I mean, nothing's happening to me, so it's not like uh, anything that's doomsday, but looking forward and, and what I'm doing now, even with my teams, we take pause a couple of times a month to celebrate and recognize even, let's use the word, at least recognize, not even results, but progress. You, did you start something new? Yes. I have this tool I use. It's this personal family and work tool. Okay, it's this triangle with you, with you in the middle, right? And you have to recognize specifically in these three areas of your life, something. It can be a result. It could be something that you've done consistently. Oh, I started tennis. Oh, I've been playing tennis now for three months. It's okay right? Not going to be a superstar. But the point is that the teams are recognizing and, and what's happening with the teams is that they are, you know, we uh, drive people, right? We're, we're competitive, right? We, we want to push through, right? But we're living in this life where, as you said, things just go by. It just goes by and suddenly you're like, wait, where, where have you recognized the moment? You have to bring that energy there because what's going to happen, what's going to happen, you know, 15, 20 years later is that the energy starts dying down because you're not using it, right? It tones down. What, what you're saying is practice uplifting it, right? What you're saying is practice uplifting it. Thank you. That was great. Dana, I'm going to share your, your links that you shared with me in the show notes. And if people want to reach out to you, they can, they can reach out to you through, through the different channels. I, I know you're on LinkedIn. I know you're on Instagram. Dana, so, so tell us about your company. Tectonicmusic.org is uh, celebrating our 10th year anniversary this year as a organization that uses music to unite artists to remediate the negative impacts felt in disaster zones of the world. In our 10th year, we've sort of evolved to doing events and also licensing content and creating content that also helps soothe people, put them in a good place uh, spiritually and in their uh, mind. We have revitalized our studio portion of Tectonic as well. So we have Tectonic Studio that has created uh, music for virtually any type of on-screen event from a mass conference. We actually did the, uh, the music for the Hong Kong FinTech right. and, and the and Singapore FinTech as well. You know, we had a blown away. It was a, a million people logged in over the three and a half day conference. Uh, and so we made the theme songs for that and, you know, the kind of campaign music to get people excited leading up for online advertisements, et cetera. And in the past, before the pandemic, we had actually done live performances that helped kind of get people into a more collaborative and, and cordial and peaceful uh, place before they go into you know, the chaos of a conference. So 
that's it. If anybody out there is, uh, you know, an artist or somebody interested in creativity or wellness, I always want to keep the uh, conversations going. So I appreciate uh, this opportunity to come on the platform and catch up with you, brother. Awesome. And definitely, uh, I'm already thinking that I'm going to need some uh, Deepak has coffee music uh, soon on my own. So I'm going to connect with you. Thanks. Thanks, Dana Leong. What a great chat. I look forward for this podcast release. Take care, buddy. All right. You too. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Did you have any moments of clarity? I would love for you to rate and review this episode. Your feedback is crucial to tailoring this content for your growth needs. If you would like to hear more, please be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and or message me on DM at DeepakSCoffee.com.